Built to Sell Radio with your host, John Warlow. So you're about to hear from a guy named David Phelps who ran a dental practice with a fun name called The Gentle Dental. And David has a story, I think, not uncommon from a lot of professional services practice. He built up the business. It was based around him personally. And when he went to sell it, it was very difficult to find a buyer. And he ended up financing some of the sale of the business to the person buying it. And that ended up in disaster. I'll let David Phelps tell you the rest of the story. David Phelps, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Hi, John. Hey, it's great to be here with you today. So tell us a little bit about the Gentle Dental. First of all, I love the name. Well, Gentle Dental, uh, obviously uh, a dentist, uh, private practice, uh, got out of school back in 1983 and uh, associated for a few years uh, with another dentist, uh, kind of learned uh, my my clinical skills, uh, got up to speed, and then opened my own practice, the Gentle Dental, uh, back in uh, about 1986, so almost 30 years ago, and uh, ran that private practice uh, for about 20 years uh, before some things happened in life that that motivated me to to sell the practice, but I uh, learned a lot along the way. Great. And so just give us a sense of, before we get into what motivated you to sell, um, the day-to-day life of the practice, were you the dentist that was uh, you know, filling the fillings, cleaning the teeth, or did you have a staff of dentists you were overseeing? Just give us a sense of the, sort of the, the structure. Sure. Well, I started out as the dentist, uh, the one that did all the work, and that's that's typically what we do when we go through professional practice uh, school, get the degrees, the license, is really the business, or the practice in this case, is about us. That's what our, our whole mindset is. And when you're in professional practice, you tend to think, well, to increase my productivity, decrease my net profit, I have to become a better technician. So that's what I was about because that was the mindset. But I, I quickly found that that if I could bring in other dentists, that that would help. And so that was part of my entrepreneurial side. I always had that side about me, even though professional practice had kind of geared me towards being this, this clinician. I brought in other dentists. So within two years of opening my own practice, uh, I had my first associate dentist. And I, I was pretty good with associate dentists, uh, but there is a little bit of a revolving door because most decent or, or, or competent dentist associates want to eventually have their own practice. So they're not going to stay with you forever unless you allow a pathway for, for ownership. And that's something I would probably do differently today. But you know, in essence, I, I had uh, additional dentists. I had um, a specialist uh, oral surgeon that came in one, one day a week. And I had uh, several hygienists that, of course, did the, the, the cleanings. Uh, and, and, and so so you, you could run a, a practice with uh, multiple providers and take some of the load off of the actual owner, uh, doctor, practitioner. When you say you do that differently, specifically around giving people a pathway to ownership, can you just describe what you'd do differently if you had it, had it to do over again? Yeah, if I went back today, I, I wouldn't be so fearful about giving up equity in a practice. I think there's a, there's a lot of fear because, uh, I'll just say dentists, but I think it goes uh, par for the course for a lot of professionals. It could be accountants, could be lawyers, that that we have this practice, this baby that we we grew somehow, and it's mostly it's about us, the work we do, and we, we're we're about control. Uh, there's just a mindset about having control, and if we give up something, we we fear that we're giving up giving too much away. What I found, and, and I'll tell you more about that in my story when I sold, but what I found was that giving up that control actually gave me more freedom. Uh, but until I got there, it was this thing of well, I, I don't want to give up anything, so I bring associates in. Now today, I would I would set up a pathway to let the right 
doctor associate come into the practice and with the right formula, the right vetting process, of course, uh, allow them a pathway to have a fractional ownership of the practice and maybe do that several times. It, it increases the value of, of the business uh, and, and gives you, I think, a lot more freedom and gives you a potential exit strategy if you need it. Today, I wouldn't be afraid about doing that with several practices if I was in that mode. I would, I, I think buying a, a practice that's undervalued, maybe undermanaged, uh, would be a fun thing to do because I, I really enjoy that part of business, uh, maybe today more so than I do the actual clinical procedures, which is what I actually learned to do when I was in school. If you had it to do over again, how much equity would you be willing to give up for the right partners? Well, I think I think uh, you could do it in uh, in quarters. You could do it in thirds. Uh, you know, and, and again, if it was the right partner uh, partners, and and there was an opportunity for me to to take all my equity off the table and, and go to something else, uh, could be another practice or something else altogether. Today, I would do that. Uh, you know, earlier on, again, I think when you've gone through a lot of school and training, and that you don't want to give that away so quickly. You you have a a little bit of a, a guilt complex about, you know, if I did something different or if I'm not the actual doctor providing the treatment, you know, what did I do all this training for? Uh, the, and, and so having a, a more of a business ownership mindset today is something I think is, is a lot more fun. You can still practice and do treatment for patients if you'd like to, but I, I'm about freedom. I'm about saying, you know, if you want to do that, then do it on your own terms. You know, see the patients you want to see, do the treatment you want to do, uh, do it uh, based on the compensation you think is is applicable for for the type of procedures and the risk you're taking on to provide it. Uh, don't let other outside uh, influences like uh, insurance companies or or government dictate you know who you are and make you a commodity. Got it. So tell us about the life events that led to you wanting to sell. Well, I have one one child, one daughter. She's 23 today. Uh, when she was uh, two and a half years old, this goes back to about 1995. She was diagnosed with high risk leukemia. Uh, that was a that was a major major setback for a person like me who again I'm, I'm leading to the character personality that I described earlier about control. Uh, I'm all about control and planning and, and future planning and setting everything up and the work ethic and everything I would do to have just the right practice, the right family, and the security and build all that the right way. And bam, out of the blue comes this uh, uh, this this health health crisis. Uh, that that I was no no more prepared for than the man on the moon, and it was stressful, obviously, uh, for for our family. Uh, it was uh, very difficult to see a young child go through all of the chemotherapy and everything that goes goes through with that. Uh, but but I I still maintain this attitude that okay, I've got to be the financial breadwinner. I've got to go on and be strong. And in the end, unfortunately, that that ended up in a marriage that 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 dissolved. Um, and, and so that was one setback. Eight years later, after Jenna, my daughter, survived her leukemia, she had to undergo a liver transplant. She was in end-stage liver failure at age 12. Now, that was due in part to all the chemo she had for treating the leukemia, but she also had seizures, so she had a lot of uh, anti-seizure medication. Well, all that medication combined uh, caused her liver to go into failure, so now she's at the brink, again, of of a life-threatening crisis. Uh, At this time, John, when, when... she was going through the liver transplant, and it was—it's not—it's not go in one one week and come out the next, and you're done. Uh, she had a lot of complications. She was in and out of the hospital for multiple times over the over the following year. And during that time, that I pulled myself out of the practice, and I and I again I had I had associate doctors and hygienists, so it wasn't all about me. But I pulled myself out and was with with her and her mom where she was recovering for you know sometimes weeks at a time. I found out that 
the practice actually could run without me. And that was a real epiphany for me to, to see that happen. It had nothing to do with my ego. I was glad to see that happen because at that point, I was really ready to unshackle the chains that I felt were binding me to the schedule, this day and day out schedule that gave me no freedom to be with the people that I really cared about. You know, in this case, my daughter who could be gone, you know, in a month, the next day. And I realized that the time was slipping by and I wasn't living my life the way I should be living it. The way the real dream was when I decided to go into practice and have this so-called business some 30 years ago. And so at eight, Jenna was at, was 12 when this happened, or oh, the liver transplant. It sounds like it was successful, uh, although incredibly difficult for your you and her. Uh, you came out of that, and at that point, is that when you decided that you wanted to sell the business? Yeah, yeah, Je- Jenna did survive, and, and she's she's doing well today. Uh, thanks for asking. But yes, it was it was during the time that that I was with her, and I just, I decided you know enough's enough. Uh, I I need to go and sell the practice. I I had developed a a real estate kind of side platform, uh, if you will, on the side over the same years I was in practice. So I had I had other things going on that would allow me financially to leave. But it was really a matter of just giving myself permission to do it. And so yeah, I I decided while she was recovering that year uh, that I was going to make that happen. So. I, I, I found a, a, a young doctor, very clinically gifted, had great communication skills, very motivated in the field of dentistry, uh, brought him in as an associate. Within six months, we had come to a letter of intent terms of, of sale, uh, and, and I, was, I was ready to, to pull, the, pull the trigger and let it happen. When you found the associate, was it your intention to find an associate that would have the potential to buy the business in the future? It was at that yes. At that time, it was prior to prior to that time. Associates that I would bring in or find, uh, it was not my intent to sell. But this time, it was different. Yes. Got it. And ha- what was the revenue of the practice? You know, revenue and profit when you when you brought on that associate. Yeah, you know, about about one point three million gross. Got it. Got it. And a profitable practice. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think uh, it, it, definitely in the in the upper tier of profitability. Got it. Okay. So. Tell us about that negotiation. I mean, how do you how do you value a dental practice, and then and then how did did this associate have family money that it brought to the table? Did they use debt? What was that like? Yeah, good 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 questions. Well, I I did I did know from previous uh, experience with uh, buying another practice and merging it into mine. I had some some uh, experience with with what that process looks like, and and so I knew that evaluation. Was critical, so they're 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 good independent uh, brokers and, and practice evaluators that that bring you know that that credibility to the forefront, and it's not that difficult to evaluate a a, a practice, at least the size of, of my practice, uh, not that difficult. So what's the formula? Well, the, the basic formula is is today it's about anywhere from sixty to seventy five percent of of uh, of gross, or about one point five to maybe as as high as two times net. So not not really really great multiples because again, these practices are typically not real businesses. They are about the technician, the doer. So you can see the difference in 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 what we deal with in the professional arena versus you know real entrepreneurial businesses that are that are scaled up to a higher degree. 
Got it. And so that's the formula you use. What did you end up selling the practice for? So just a little under under a million, just a little under seven figures. So I so I got pretty close to what that formula would uh, would allow for, and, and, it, and it, it was fair. It was, a, it was a fair number. And how was that structured? Was it 100% cash up front? Did you take a note? What what was the? Yeah. Well, okay. So so this is where the this is where the boomerang sale comes into play, John. So again, I was motivated to sell. I I really felt like this young doc, and he did. He had the skills. He had been in the practice. He was producing great numbers uh, but he didn't have the credit he had some credit issues and so I because I had sold a lot of real estate over the years and I'd carried notes and I knew how to do that and I was comfortable with that and and I, I thought well I'll carry the financing 100% in this case uh, I thought maybe a year would do it and then he could refinance me out the problem was uh, this young doc with all the skill in the world and, and future potential there were some character flaws that I frankly overlooked and I know I overlooked them uh, Long story short, it was like giving the keys to a, of a Ferrari to a 16-year-old. Uh, he kind of went crazy in, in certain respects, and I had to take the practice back through through litigation. It was it was messy. Uh, it was uh, it was very frustrating. I was I was angry at him. I was angry at myself, uh, and, and I realized I'd made. A, I, but I realized in the, in the end, I I was the one that made the mistake. I was the one who was responsible. So take us through that when you when you sell your business. One formula you can. Uh, you can use is is to basically finance the acquirer, meaning you say, okay, we're, you're going to buy my business for a million bucks, uh, but instead of giving me a million dollars cash, you're going to give me you know x amount of money, uh, you know over the over the period of how many years was it in your case? Yeah, I think it was set up like on a seven year uh, payout. Got it. So you're going to give me a little bit of money every month for the next seven years. Right. And in your case, how did you determine the interest rate? You know, I, it, whenever I, whenever I do any kind of structure like this, and again, I, I go back to to real estate. Uh, it, it has to make sense from a cash flow basis. So, so knowing what the numbers of the practice are, and and backing in the the debt service uh, to see what this young doc would be able to achieve, and again, knowing what his numbers were, uh, it was pretty easy. So, I mean, there's there's a range that makes sense. Uh, and honestly, I it, this was uh, this was seven years ago on the on the first sale. So. Uh, probably the interest rate was somewhere around seven, uh, give or take. Uh, Got it. Yeah, ballpark. Okay. Doesn't have to be just just roughly. It's better than prime, essentially. Correct for folks yeah. listening and, and wondering how to structure some of these things. Right. Uh, because there's obviously uh, in, in, enhanced debt or enhanced risk, which risk. which you yes. you you found out unfortunately the hard <laughs> way. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. But just on the structure again. So you're looking at the cash flow of the business. You're saying, okay, every year we're making a million bucks on the top line. We're 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 putting to the bottom line, you know, if, you know, a few hundred thousand, uh, so the the business can throw off enough cash to finance this, the, you know, this 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 person will be getting that cash as the owner. Therefore, they can send me a chunk of it every month. Uh, that's the theory. Is that right? Yeah, that's the theory. Whether you're whether you you are financing the sale as the seller yourself, or that's the same thing a bank's going to look at, right? They're going to look at the same thing. Is is there enough cash flow at the end of the day to not only fund the the, the overhead of the of the practice or the business? Uh, but but fund the debt service and leave enough uh, for a reasonable amount of li- of lifestyle overhead for this uh, new buyer. So got if you, you got to build that in. Yeah. And the structure is again getting into the mechanics here. The structure of these deals is typically that you, if in the event of a default, in the event that you don't get your monthly cash, uh, essentially you take over. You you own the the business again. If, am I distilling it down to its basic components? Yeah, in, in in theory, that's 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 what it is, uh, John. But uh, you know, there's there's uh, we have a society today that allows people to contest uh, issues and go through a judicial process. And 
that's what uh, this young doc decided to do. So it wasn't as easy as just saying, hey, you're, you're, you're defaulting, uh, just give me the keys back and go on your way. And, and, and it wasn't that easy. So yeah, go ahead. So I want to get to, to, get to that, but how, what was your first clue that you knew that something was, 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 was wrong? Uh, when uh, when the, w- one of the payments was, uh, w- was, n- was not made on time. I think, I think the, the first series of five, six payments came in as scheduled, and then there was a payment that wasn't made. And you know, typically you think, well, just you know, something happened, uh, maybe it got lost in the mail, I think it, uh, whatever happened. And, and, uh, and then, you, you, then the communication uh, is, is not there. There's, there's delays in communication, and all of a sudden uh, you know, your antenna goes up and says, okay, I've got, I've, I need to dig deeper here. Something's going on. And uh, as I did so, then that's where... I uh, found out that um, that monies that should have been paid, um, you know, to, to to myself and to even other vendors, uh, it wasn't happening. So take us through the litigation process. What did that look like? Well, uh, that's that's never never a pretty situation. Uh, you know, p- people tend to lawyer up, and and unfortunately, lawyers are are there to provide a service, but I think lawyers also are are there to to put uh, food on their table. So uh, they, oftentimes they see opportunities and, and, and it, it's, it, there, there's really never anybody on your side is what I've come to say. There's, a, there's, this, there's this equity, there's assets there on the table and uh, the lawyer's gonna get in there and they're gonna, they're gonna shuffle it around uh, until somebody gives and says, you know what, you know, enough's enough, let's, let's get this thing settled. It just goes down a course of, you know, it can be, it can be weeks, it can be months. Uh, this took about eight months um, and during that time, uh, the practice is 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 totally in shambles. I mean, mismanaged and shambles. Uh, you know, falling apart. Uh, you know, the pa- patients are leaving in droves. Uh, staff staff are leaving. Uh, some some staff stayed because they knew I was I was aggressively trying to take the practice back. So about half the staff stayed, but the other half left, and I can't blame them because they had to look out for their own well-being. So what ended up happening in the end? Did you get the keys back, and what did that all cost, and so forth? Yeah, it, yeah, I got I got the keys back. Uh, gosh, all in all, it, it cost well over a um, hundred thousand uh, dollars with litigation costs and and just coming back in and then and then revamping. Uh, you know, there's a there's a, obviously a lot of PR uh, that has to be done to to re- rebuild uh, reputation and name. Uh, it's just it's just like you know the the, the bad restaurant in town. Uh, all of a sudden, they sit say, say you know under new management. Well, what's what's really changed? You know, you you really got to in, in a small community. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of gossip that goes around, and so there's a lot of, a lot of a lot of negativity, uh, and and so. And how did that impact your your numbers? I mean, what when oh, when, yeah. you, when you got the practice back? I mean, what were you? What, what kind of revenue was the, yeah. was the business doing? Profit, that kind of stuff. Yeah, the, yeah, well, the, the, yeah, the numbers were terrible. The re- revenues were down by almost fifty percent. Uh, I I asked a, a practice appraiser. I said. Uh, uh, and this is more for for litigation purposes and damages. I said, you know, what what would the practice appraise for? He said, I, I can't I can't even put a number on it because of, of the issues there. So so it really wasn't even a sellable practice. I mean, maybe just the assets, but the goodwill was gone. Uh, reputation was 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 obviously tarnished. So it, it took a uh, it took a massive uh, you know PR campaign and marketing. Uh, but I'll tell you what it you know it does work. It does work. You know you can look at other other. Uh, companies in history, I think Tylenol, the, the the problem they had back in the years, and they proactively stepped up and and took that on. Well, you can do that. You can rebuild it, even a small community. But it took it took a massive effort to do it. Got it. And so, eventually, you got the practice back up to your standards th- that it was. Uh, I, I, am I putting words in your mouth to say at or a similar level to it, to where it was before you handed over the reins the first time? 
Yeah, well, here's yeah, here's what I had to do. So, so you know, I, I had really two choices. I, I I could either just I could have just let it go and just said, you know, I don't want to ever go back. But but I really I couldn't in my heart do that. Uh, I, again, there was there was patients that relied on, on on the the succession of that practice. There were still staff members there that that. So so I decided I've got I've got to to build this back up. But I didn't want to be the doc to go back and do it because I had I had checked out um, emotionally. From, from going back and being a dentist, I had to go back in for the first few months. But I aggressively, uh, through through multiple channels, uh, sought you know new associates uh, as as potential buyers. And so that was aggressive. And so over about five months, I brought in not one, not two, but I brought in three associates. We expanded the hours of the practice. I went into major marketing mode, uh, and and it turned around. It probably took about twelve months to bring revenues back up close to where they were prior to the sale. And I'd say within eighteen months. We surpassed uh, our our gross revenues uh, prior to the sale, and then uh, within about another twelve months, one of the three associates rose to the top. Meaning uh, they they had the wherewithal uh, and the leadership, and they had the credit to go to the bank. And this was in the the depths of the recession, uh, 2010, when bank financing was pretty pretty much at a, at, a, at a low. And they were able. This doctor was able to go to the bank and get 100% financing based on his credit and the fact that you know he was one of the key producers in the practice. And this practice was actually being run as a real business without the owner, myself, being actively involved in it at that point. So, what did you sell it for the second time? Second time, uh, a little bit higher than the first time. So, so that part worked out. But, but, but it would have been a lot, lot easier if it would have done it right the first time. But uh, a little, little bit more. Yeah. So the second time when you sold it. Uh, did you get all your cash up front? I did. I got, I got 100% up front. So that was a, a much cleaner sale. So, no, you, so for, for folks listening, and just to summarize, so you, you get a, roughly a million bucks in your in your pocket, and the risk has been transferred from you in the, in the original deal. In the second deal, the bank uh, that financed the the uh, the new owner uh, basically bore the risk of that uh, that uh, that debt. Is that correct? That's correct. Got it. So you you were not uh, on the hook for for any of the debt at all in the second sale. Correct. Wow, that's a that's a <laughs> that's a good story or a bad story gone good. Good for you. Well, you know, and, and really, I, I look at everything in life. You know, and, and I didn't when I was early early on in life. I, when things came up like my daughter's health issue or when this practice uh, first sale failed, John, you know, I I looked at that as is you know why me? You know, life isn't fair. What's gone wrong? But every time I've come through something like that, some kind of adversity, on the other side, as long as I persevere and 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 take back an attitude of look, something's going on here. But you know, I if if I just go in here and and work this model, something good will come out of it. And 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 the back end was that there's been so many good things that have come out of it. Besides the fact that uh, you know I learned a lot about a lot about what one really could do in a professional practice to. To create more of a real business structure and not just be reliant on oneself to be, you know, the technician, the producer, the doer, uh, kind of going back to Michael Gerber's the E Myth. Uh, you know, that that's typically what most professional practices are. It's all about the owner, and it doesn't have to be that way. Absolutely. So, what what has been the most surprising thing for you after the second sale? You've you've got this, you know, cash in the bank. I mean. What, has life kind of rolled out as you expected it would, or has there been any surprises along the way since you you took the check and and uh, and said goodbye to your business? You know, it's been all good surprises, and and I would say I, I was I was reticent a little bit of, about you know saying goodbye to the practice uh, because I you know again I put 
you know, my blood, sweat, and tears into becoming a dentist and, and practicing that to the highest degree I could for a number of years and, and proud of that. Uh, and so it's like you're taking this hat off. Uh, it's like all of a sudden, you know, you're no longer the doctor. But, but it was so important for me to have the freedom uh, to spend the time with my daughter. And then this, this freedom, besides spending time with my daughter, it allowed me to start doing things that I had given up uh, previous in my life, just uh, hobbies, other interests, uh, other people. Like, give me an example. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I, I love to ski. Uh, I grew up in Colorado, even though I live in Texas, I grew up in Colorado. So I love to ski. Well, there were years where I didn't go back to ski because, because of, you know, just life had just kind of drained everything out of me, working hard in the practice, my daughter's issues, you know, my, the divorce, uh, practice sales stuff, all that, all those things just kind of beat me down to where I, I just didn't feel like I had permission to go live my life. I love playing tennis. I played tennis all the way from from grade school, you know, into college, and and again, I, I kind of quit doing those things, and I got back, and I started skiing, started playing tennis again, and and everything just started getting better once I was kind of unchained to this practice schedule that dominated my life for all these years. Fantastic. I, I gotta ask. I mean, you get this big check. Was there one thing, one trophy you bought yourself, one indulgence you allowed yourself to buy as a sort of trophy for the success of the sale the second time around? Well, probably not one main trophy, but but it goes back again to the freedom to do what, what I didn't give myself permission to do before. Uh, my, my my father, who is currently eighty five years old, so we're going back 10, 11 years ago when when I got that check. Uh, I told my dad, I said, Dad, we need to go take a trip together. Um, I, I was single at the time. Uh, my mother passed away uh, uh, some years prior. And, and my dad, being very healthy, uh, we, we always loved doing trips together when we were young. He, we, he helped me with Boy Scouts, and we went camping together, and we did whitewater rafting trips. I said, Dad, we got to go do a trip. So he's 75 years old but still in good shape. And so, so we took a, a trip uh, to France uh, and did a bicycling trip, and it was it was just outstanding in the Loire Valley and wine country, and we had the best time. And so I got to reconnect with my dad. Uh, you know, it's just it's just those are the things we live life for, and our business really is something that should serve us and our lifestyle. That's something I didn't get all those early years, John. I was just about trying to create this fake wall of security that never really mounted to anything. Uh, and and so that was the real indulgence was to, to to create a memory and do something with my dad that you know now I, I have that forever. Fantastic. So uh, what are you doing now? I mean, when you're not playing tennis and you're not skiing and you're not cycling around the Loire Valley, I mean, uh, are you fully retired or are you, are you up to something new? Well, I, I, I'm fully retired from dentistry. I, I still keep my license intact because I thought, well, you know, I can do mission trips and, and, and that's something I still want to do. But here's what happened. You know, subsequent to getting out of the practice the second time. You know, a lot of my friends, uh, colleagues in both dentistry and medicine, uh, who didn't really know that I had this other side of, of of real estate, you know, asked me, "Well, you know, David, you know, how did you do it? How did you how did you sell out of your practice? You know, back before you were you were 50, uh, how how are you making that happen?" And so I explained, "Well, at the same time I was in practice all these years, I was building up, you know, a separate platform through real estate." Well, tell me more about that. And as I started to explain to some of my friends, uh, you know, this organically started to grow. And, and so today I have, I have a lot of fun uh, coaching, consulting, and I've created a, a mastermind for professional practice owners, primarily dentists, but we've got some physicians and chiropractors, a veterinarian uh, that we come together four times a year and we deal with what I call the freedom blueprint. Uh, and that is number one, you know, taking your practice, you know, your business and optimizing that, 
uh, making it better. So as long as you want to be in it, you're not solely, it's not solely dependent upon you. And then the second part is how do you build wealth outside of that business? And real estate is the asset class that I love so much. So I bring that together and we just have a great time. Uh, I have great people in that group. And it's just about, you know, to me, changing lives and being around people I love to be around. And where do people find out about that if they're interested? Uh, yeah, John, that's it. Uh, www.freedomfounders.com. David Phelps, thanks for your time. Thank you, John. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. Thanks for listening.